Well, Eddie says a week's a long time in footy, so 11 must be an eternity. As footy was back, we had some major changes, unbelievable similarities, and of course, controversy. Welcome back, boys. Yeah, Paddy, good to be back, mate. Unfortunately, we don't have to do this week as he has other commitments, but yeah. Well, that is the official party line, but unofficially, we also got some, uh, we're all about feedback and 360 degree feedback on the post-game spray. And uh, some did come across our bow, and I think this may be the reason Derv has been omitted for tonight. The, uh, the feedback was, I think need, Derv needs to improve on post-game spray. He has the personality of a fucking doormat. <laughs> we, also got some feedback, we also got some feedback for Doyle, so I don't know why he's laughing so hard. Tell that bloke to pipe down. I can tell he's ugly just from his voice. <laughs> <laughs> and then what this just came through from Frank, that why is he putting on his voice so deep, he's clearly 50 kilos ringing wet. So, please keep that feedback coming through, we do enjoy it, and uh, that's that's good for us. Of course, that's only for the selected um, viewers that we had last week. But um, Viewers, mate, it's a podcast. Can't sorry, mate, listeners, sorry guys. Um, let's just jump straight into it. Uh, Pies, Tykes, early on, two biggest clubs in the land, we'd say. Um, thoughts on the gamers? Uh, I was pretty happy with myself after the first game of the round, after suggesting that it'd be a low-scoring affair. So I was really getting around myself, but then the uh, the round did open up, so I just had to eat my words a little bit. But they were blaming the Jew. Hardwick was blaming the Jew. I just think the two coaches parked the bus, especially Buckley after they got four goals up, and it wasn't a great spectacle to start us back. But luckily for footy fans over the week, it, it did get a bit better, but... I still think those two sides are going to be pretty good this year. Oh, it went it went from bad to worse, really. Firstly, we have to sit through the game. Secondly, Wiz picked it like a nose, so we have to listen to him carry on about it. Uh, I heard Brendan Sanderson talk before the game about how they wanted to control the footy against Richmond, not give them a chance to rebound, and that absolutely choked the life out of Richmond early. And then they just fully, as Doyle said, parked the bus, made it a fully boring game, and didn't work for them at all. They should have just kept up that high possession, uh, control the footy, move it up the ground. I don't, I don't, yeah, shit. It's, shit, to be honest. It's funny you talk about footy as a spectacle. Um, Kevin Bartlett came out during the week and said, uh, the AFL I, um, itself as a spectacle is in trouble. Is he real? Is that real? Or is he just trying to say Sorry, I reckon KB went a little bit early on that one after the Pies, 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 Pies and Pies game, and so did a few. Saying, saying the game was in trouble, but I think, as you saw over the rest of the weekend, um, really anybody can beat anybody at the moment, um, and there was also some good footy, so um, I think yeah, people can get a little bit, uh, yeah, can jump the gun pretty quickly when there's one poor game. Fair enough. Um, things I took out of the game, I didn't take much out, but one of the things I did take is that Richmond, when they played well, were unable to score, um, obviously being early in the round. Richmond, when they played well, were unable to score. Unable to score, when they had a lot of possession. Did say after probably quarter time they dominated the game, five goals. Would anyone else disagree with it? The reason why they couldn't score was because Collingwood had turned numbers behind the ball. I thought Richmond dominated the game for three quarters, as you said, but Collingwood's first quarter was excellent. But um, I just think it took them a while to break down the, the Collingwood's defence, but they didn't have much opportunity when they had so many numbers back. And if Howe had a field back. Got, exactly right. If you've got Jeremy Howe and Darcy Moore floating off their men, chopping off any ball that comes in, like, it's going to be impossible to score. 
The other thing that I think hurt them a little bit was they made a couple of skill errors when they did try to go inside early and it, it sort of made them a bit gun dry. And you don't see Dusty turn over too many, but they just sort of went back to going along down the line. And as, as Fez said, um, Howe and Moore are the best of that in the comp. So, yeah, that didn't help, but they did wear them down and uh, a draw was probably fitting in the end, I suppose. Well, and, and Paddy's uh, underestimated uh, forwards of this of all time, Jerry. <laughs> Jason Castagna and Jack Rewald certainly had a field day and proved that they're, they're uh, I didn't say Jack Rewald. Rewald was mine. It was good to see him. underrated villain who really served it up. <laughs> um, any thoughts, Frank, on the game? Or? I think both sides are so, obviously two of the best sides, two really well-drilled defensive sides. So when the skills aren't up to scratch, I think, and they, both sides are able to hold their defence together, it makes it very hard to score as well, rather than letting in the lesser sides. Uh, let's talk about the team down the highway. Um, Geelong, the real team, um, got the tick to play at GMHBA, did well. Will that benefit them for the rest of the year or not? Or will it just be another home game? Undoubtedly, man. I think the record's 90% over the last 10 years, so it's definitely not going to hurt. Uh, normally play the Hawks at the G, which so that was, that was good. I think Cats would have beat them anyway, but uh, definitely they know how to play down there and uh, yeah, playing the bigger sides at home when they normally have to play them at the G or potentially Marvel is definitely going to help the Cats, but they were better than I thought they were. Are Hawthorne that good or were you guys that good? Hawthorne that bad, you mean? Hawthorne that bad, sorry. I think it was a bit of both. Well, I thought the Hawks were okay in the first half. They they fought their way back into it a little bit, but Fez uh, nailed it on the head last week. I think they've got too many battlers and the Cats were pretty even. I know Salwood and uh, and Stanley and, and Dangerfield in the second half, Ablett were really good, but um, Mitchell was still okay, Burden was still okay, but I think their bottom half a dozen or so really stood out as they just did not contribute. Yeah, like, like I said last week, your, your Harry Morrisons, your Hanrahans, Liam Shields had a stink on ball. Spike, when you're going Stratton at the moment, right yeah, when you're going Sean Burgoyne at 37 to be your barrier out of um, sort of a pickle option. In the centre bounce, I think you're you're lacking class at the top. Um, so yeah, I, I think. But the thing that shits me about Hawthorne is Clarko could come out this week with some fucking awesome game plan and and win by ten goals. Like they're, they're just the masters. Yeah, the other thing I mentioned last week. The other thing I mentioned last week with Hawthorne, I I really cannot see the McAvoy thing working. Uh, there's no ruckman who's gone to be a key defender that's really worked, in my opinion. And he's a better ruckman than Ziegler. I know Ziegler's a pretty decent ruckman, but Stanley tore him to shreds last week, and Stanley's not wanting a top echelon. So they've got to work that out. Um, you know, Patton was a bit ordinary, and he'll get better. They've got Amira back, but I don't see that McAvoy working in defence. And when the ball hit the ground in defence last week, he was so slow. Yep. That said, Hawkins was no good. Radically, it was no good. wasn't a good night for the keys apart from Reece Stanley. So, you know, everyone's been bagging McAvoy this week, but Hawkins and Radovali were shit as well, so, and Patton was shit too, so I don't think anyone lit it up over 200. Oh, big Reece. <laughs> um, fair enough. Um, let's go to the Gold Coast game. So, obviously, their $1.13 favourites got done and cost a lot of punters on the weekend, but what do we think of West Coast performance and how will it continue? Will it continue for the rest of the year? Uh, I can't say continuing for the rest of the year, but I think Adam Simpson 
sum it up when he mentioned the um, GPS data from their intra club compared to the Gold Coast game and they actually ran harder in the intra club. Um, I think obviously numbers like that don't help, but it was also interesting looking at some of the numbers from last year in terms of ground ball gets. Um, they were last in the comp last year, um, but when they played home over at Coast where it's relatively dry, they can control the ball, chip it around a little bit more, keep it in the hands, but up on the Gold Coast, playing up there for four weeks in the hub with a lot of juke, it's going to be a bit scrappier, so I think they do need to improve their ground balls um, side of it, um, if they're going to improve and certainly beat Brisbane this week. Good sign, Justin. Can't say I'm surprised about the intra-club numbers, to be honest. Uh, jumping into the cricket sphere just for a second. I know that at training, bowling against your mates, you find an extra gear that just isn't there when you're up against the opposition on a Saturday. <laughs> so I can completely understand it going, going through in the, in the intra-club. I'm not worried about West Coast. They'll work it out. They just look like a, a top side that were taking it easy. Gold Coast actually looked pretty good. I, I thought they, they were a bigger surprise than, than West Coast. They might be okay this year. Um, Fez commented on it last week or highlighted it that um, Gold Coast are the type of side that if they get their players back and all on the park, they are a half decent side. And you kind of saw that. I know they had a couple outs, but um, kind of the beginning of that was shown. Um, but obviously, we saw it's hard enough to talk about his best player on the ground, Matt Riel. What were our thoughts on him as a player that game? Uh, sensationally, ready made. Uh, there's, there's a bit of talk on Twitter about the draft age in the. In the break between round one and round two and saying that it should be extended and I know Paul Roos is a big advocate for it with year 12 and it can be a difficult year but you just draft players and they're ready and, and can you imagine him playing another year of Nab League for you like he's ready to go and uh, he's got a ready-made body bit of a man-child but uh, yeah wants to match it with the big boys inside and can run and carry as well he looks like the complete package so they've got a good one on their hands there the Suns. Yeah, absolute beast. Yep. Um, let's move on to arguably the game of the round, unfortunately, Frank. Um, your boys took on the Ds. Um, game of the round? <laughs> I don't know what you were watching. Yeah. <laughs> um, thoughts on it, Frank, as we saw you, your heart sink as we're watching the game together. Well, it was good watching Frank. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know where to start, to be honest. Um, no, it's just... It's frustrating as a blue supporter continually watching us um, get blown out in the first quarter and then all of a sudden come roaring back and uh, the team changes steaming home in the last three quarters to not quite get there. Um, Did you say team training? Honestly, <laughs> no, no. I just want to know why he thought Carlton were going to be any different this year. Um, yeah, around the Carlton supporter. It's just, yeah, just frustrating um, because we're beating a lot of sides for the majority of the game, but it's just one quarter. Um, and I there it is. We've got a quarter side. It is, and we're not playing four quarters, but um, I mean, I'd, personally, coming out of that game, I'd be more worried if I was Melbourne because they had a lot of upside in this year. But if they want to be a top four side or top eight side that they were two years ago, you can't be giving up a seven goal lead against Carlton. 
So I'd be more worried as Melbourne support and where I'm at. But I'm confident because I know where we're at, and but Melbourne, I don't think anybody knows where they're at. You can't rank that week though. Definitely. You said uh, you were thinking about 12th and one of them. Do still there or? Two weeks into the post-game spray, we really needed a camera in here when Frank talks about Carlton. His body language is shot, <laughs> he's jittery, he's nervous. <laughs> and some people got 100 uh, listeners last week. I wish the 100 people could have seen Frank on Saturday. And again now, he just gets jittery when you talk about the Blues. And he's just not realistic, let's be honest. They're not 12th. They're a lot lower than that. Um, I've come to the conclusion that both sides are no good, really. They've scored, I know Colin and Richmond only scored 72 points between each other, but for sides to have that kind of role and score just over 100 points, I just can't see him. Um, what? Challenging that was the first sensible thing Pat said on the show. Yeah, it's taken a week and a half to post. Uh, but we, I think it would be remiss of us not to mention uh, the track. Christian Petraka was very good, might have been his coming of age match. Could be his year this year, so keep an eye on him. Mm. Um, obviously, late in the game, uh, the Carlton young superstar Sammy Walsh butchered a couple of times. We've uh, talked about it a bit during the week, but would we rather Sam Walsh at this stage or someone like Connor Rosie? Just before you go into that debate, which is a relative, uh, which is a good one, Walsh has been getting the flack in this, and I understand you know High Raps number one draft pick did butcher it twice uh, going into top fifty. Yeah. yeah, but what about the skipper, the much lauded Patrick Cripps, missed two. Set shots within 40 metres in the last half. He wants to be the man. He wants to be the best player in the comp, the MVP last year. Let's talk about the captain missing two set shots rather than the second-year player missing two inside 50 kicks, which can happen, I think. So that that's my point of view. Yes, Walsh wasn't probably good enough, but he'll get better. But Cripps is a bit older. I think he's unfairly copped a flat Walsh. In that. I'm going to disagree with Chris. Walsh horrendous use inside 450, cost them the game. At least Krivik keep a goal, took the marks, no one else was going to do it, had the shots on goal. Walsh's fault. And I would take Rosie pretty comfortably at the moment. Full track? I think uh, Rosie obviously massive upside and does some really special things, but Sam Walsh is coming off one of the best first years we've seen for quite some time. So it's certainly, it's a pretty pretty good argument to have. And I mean, it depends on the team's needs really, but Walsh, one of the best first years we've seen for quite a while, and the fact that Rosie just, we're having this chat, they're both obviously going pretty well at the moment. Hindsight's, uh, you've got 2020 vision in hindsight, we look back on it, um, Rosie was the SA boy, it was a bit of risk taking him out of South Australia, Walsh was the undoubted number one, the safe pick, like, you can't blame, Carlton made some horrendous blues at the draft table, but I don't think Walsh is going to end up being one of those, yes Rosie, fantastic, but I think this is a very good one in Walsh. Nice. Um, Kanga, 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 Ruru, Ruru. Were they on? Are they going to be on for the whole season, or was that a um, major upset kind of thing? Is only footy their way to go for the rest of the season? Similar to how they were last year, I think competitive, but without the top end cattle to do anything special. I think I, I think they'll be hard to beat. They remind me a little bit of um, Sydney, maybe when Paul Roos first took over. Just that we're going to grind, 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 but. Yeah, they're, they're good. I just don't see them being super good. Yeah, I think I'm similar to Fez here, but I think as a side that doesn't have that heap of talent, um, obviously there's some good young ones with Zohar and Simkin who have started the season pretty well, but when you're not one of those real top sides, all you want is your team to have a real red hot crack. And um, watching that game on Sunday, I think it was, um, GWS certainly would have felt it. Um, that's all you want from a team that's you know sort of middle of the range. 
just on that, I think they've got a really good coach and be sure it looks like the boys are playing for him, really buying in. And Frank mentioned Zerha, new favourite player in the comp, loving his mullet, loving his grunt, loves whacking blokes, just really what the post-game spray is all about, to be honest. <laughs> um, on the other side of the game, uh, GWS, uh, why can't they string a game together? It seems to be a common theme with them. Why do they lose these games more often than, oh, not more often than not, but they seem to lose these games quite a bit? I just think they weren't up for the contest. North were there to win at all costs, and GWS weren't, and that's probably been a, a recurring theme a little bit with them. They've definitely got the talent, there's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, and you're right, they, they do string games on end, they do play quarters here and there, they are a little bit inconsistent, and yeah, they, they're going to need to match that effort, I think, and North were just better on the day. I think we've all played in successful teams where you start the season and you think about finals. You, you, you know you're going to be there. All that you care about is winning finals, and I think GWS in that they they're there this year to win the grand final. That's what their mindset is. And sometimes you drop a couple of games early in the season when you're not really concentrating. You think you're just going over a speed up, and and you drop a game. I still think they'll be fully there at the footy end. Um, how big do you think their premiership window is? How long will that last? Very big. Yeah, uh, depending on um, keeping everyone, obviously, but I mean, if they keep that group together, they've still got plenty of years. The, the problem is they've just lost good players along the way every year, and uh, they've been, well, they're recruiting and uh, so much depth, which has kept them there, but you think of the team, like the players they've lost, it, it does hurt. And, um, but having said that, you know, most of their players are still in that, that right demo- age demographic. I think the only one sort of coming in the end, we'll sure and month that are getting on, but. Yeah, so they're, def- they're definitely in the, still in the window and will be for a couple more years. There's always good news um, in, a lot, in a loss normally, but uh, the return of Cal Ward, um, the boy from the West, um, just good to see him back playing. I think he was in leading possessions, get up with 20-odd, and um, really won that inside ball for him, so it's good to see him back. Um, On to the dogs. Are they cooked? Is the uh, pre-season hype, um, has that ruined them for the rest of the year? Oh. Uh, and we might have been, I think I've been last, we might have bought into that a little bit. Uh, I'll watch that game. Saints were very good. The dogs oh, were, yeah. I'm still bullish on the dogs. Yeah, it was actually a quote. It was a bit pun too. The Bulldogs were bullish. Um, but yeah, look, they were they were terrible. They were really, really bad. And I'm going to point the finger a little bit at their coach. He's got off, he, he was lauded for winning that 2006 flag and fair enough, a uh, 2016 flag and fair enough. It was a great uh, result for the dogs. But since then, he's just really got ahead of himself, I think. You know, that year he dropped Stringer and he made some big calls at the selection table, but he's bought into his own hype and has to try and reinvent the wheel and has consistently has three, four, five, six changes at the selection table. Good sides consistently do not do that. They play the same 22 to 24 blokes and, and Beveridge just tries too much. He's got he's got his favourites, Gowers, John. You know, those blokes shouldn't be playing in front of guys like McLean and Shacky. It's, it's as simple as that. He's got his favourites and it's not working at the moment and they need need to fix it pretty quickly. Yeah, I think talking to a lot of doggy supporters, the frustrating thing for them is they don't, like Bruce just said, they don't know what their best side is um, because Bebo makes five changes every week. They don't understand the changes and I think as a supporter you just want to understand what your coach is doing, what the team's doing and they seem lost at the moment. That's the way I look at it. Is their game plan of the handball outdated, or is that still a thing? I don't think it's outdated. They, they move the footy well when, when they're on. It's just they, they couldn't defend on the weekend, and their ball use was just horrendous. And 
when when you turn the footy over at in, at this level in, in current um, the current way the game's played, you're just getting burned on the other side. And, and the Saints Saints pressure was really good. They had the most tackles inside 50 in the competition over the weekend, and that three of them, uh, three of their players, Butler, Loney, uh, I can't remember the other one, they were three of the top five for the whole round. So they bought the pressure and the dogs couldn't handle it and they turned it over and, and that, that's what hurt them. But I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily the handle. I think it's more what we spoke about with selection and, and the culture issue a little bit. Yeah. Um, on to the other side of the game, St Kilda. Um, thoughts on them? They kind of started like this last year. I think they're on the four after five or six rounds. Is it just the same old scenario um, with them or is it something different for a change? Well, again, I said last week that I think that if they're going to have a, be any good, it'll be this year. I'm still yet to be convinced otherwise. New coach, the new players look good. They seem to be on the same page. Rack is doing a good job. Now he's got a decent uh, group to work with. Now he's left that absolute basket case of a club down <laughs> on uh, at Princess Park. So, yeah, big, big win for Rats and Saints look the goods at the moment. The thing that I was really impressed with the Saints, a uh, couple of their recruits are fantastic in Jones and um, Butler. We're both very good, but the younger players is where some of that improvement needs to come from. And I thought Clark and Wilkie in particular, very, very good. Um, so, yeah, the, if they can get those younger players, you know, Caulfield's in there as well. Uh, Max King looks like a star in the making. So, there's definitely some upside in the Saints, I think. I think their real test this week will be against the Pies and kind of see similar wins against the Dogs and if they can be competitive or even win, um, I think that will kind of show if there's a real deal or not. Um, on to uh, flogging for the week, uh, Port. Um, look good. Adelaide that, Adelaide that good or that bad? Um, and have they got the draft from the last couple of years right? Adelaide are putrid. That's one way to put it, they are absolutely nowhere at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't, to see a team that's dropped like that, there's something seriously wrong inside that club, I think. Um, it's sort of hard to get a gauge on port. They've been up on probably two sides that look like they're going to be down the bottom, but you can only um, be who's put in front of you, and they've done it very, very convincingly. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they go when they come up um, against a few tougher teams. Yeah, if I uh, if I'm Adelaide's uh, CEO, I'm knocking up training this week and I'm playing the Tigers theme song over the speakers, flat chat during training, and telling them to harden the fuck up <laughs> because they are just shit. They've been sooking ever since that grand final. Get the fuck over and play some decent footy. Uh, you asked the second part of that question was, did they nail the draft last year's draft? Rosie Butters. Dersma, that's how you build good sides with having drafts like that. We've seen in the it past. It could end up looking like one of Geelong's 99 or 01 drafts. Yeah, that. same with Hawthorne when they got Roughhead, Buddy, and Lewis. Like those, if you nail one draft like that and get three players, it sets you up for a long time, and those three look like absolute jets of the future. Hopefully, tell the same old story with Port, though, how they believe the not so great sides at home, then travel or versus better sides. Yeah, I, 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 I haven't got Port in the in the top echelon yet. I like seeing beat some. I think they're still they're with that sort of St Kilda um, area at the moment in that they could be good, but no one's really convinced while they're flogging Adelaide. Um, wasn't talked much about um, in the review of footy this week, but the Dons and Swans game. Um, sorry for the rhyme there. Um, was actually quite a good game. Um, Swans kind of stayed in it for ages and. 
Essendon looked like they were thre- um, threatening to leave it and then came back and then a bit of class from Parrish at the end. What did you kind of take out of that game? I think both teams missed the eight. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think Essendon, uh, despite being undefeated, uh, not much shock. I don't think, I don't think Sydney got a battle, especially with that big bud. Uh, honest. Like Sydney will always be honest. They put in the effort, they make it hard to beat, uh, hard for you to beat them. But yeah, oh, I, I wasn't I'm not convinced by either of those sides. Um, with Fez, yeah, I just think they were two evenly matched sides that are both poor sides. Um, you know, the Bombers did, but McGrath looked good. He's mentioned Parrish, he played one quarter. He, he's been, you know, the raps on him this weekend have been huge, but he had three touches up until three quarter time. He needed to do something, and hopefully he copped the spray at three quarter time. And Zaharakis had two, I think, at three quarter time. So, we're um, definitely six. Yeah, there, there is, yeah, at least Parrish did come good. But, oh, the, the Bombers were good. They beat who was in front of them. Uh, it's never easy to win away from home. As Fez said, Sydney is never easy to beat, so good on the Dons for winning that, but they lack polish, they lack class. And the Swans, uh, Fez said about Buddy, they also didn't have Reed, so they're pretty depleted in the forward half, and without those players, they're not going to be that, uh, they're not going to be winning too many games, I don't think. Um, let's go a bit off field, on outside the uh, oval itself. Uh, umpiring always a talk. Um, in the world, and our man Matty Durbin behind the goals, straight on the goal line on uh, Thursday night against uh, Richmond with a controversial decision. Uh, thoughts on that, Wiz? Uh, well, I've got a in our new segment um, going along with lines of the, the podcast post game spray. Um, I'll save that for a little bit later. But yeah, the umpiring, oh, I didn't really notice them a whole lot over the weekend, apart from the, the goal review has got some hairs on it still. Um, but yeah, I thought the umpiring was okay to be honest with you. If I don't notice them, that, that normally means they've been okay. Yep. Anyone else thoughts on? I've also got something I'm saving for the uh, the post game spray, so <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll tread lightly through this this section. Um, I suppose along the lines of the of umpiring, though, we can touch on a couple of the suspensions. So uh, McGovern was obviously reported for. You know, he did. He clipped the bike in the jaw. I'm not supposed to do that. So a week, probably fair enough for stupidity. But the Burgoyne tackle, and I'm I'm a huge Sean Burgoyne fan. He's a fantastic player. But I'm sick and tired of the match review panel process. And I know Michael Christian's the MRO, and you know he's got to abide by the guidelines. And they've since changed it. But why does something need to happen for there to be a change? Just common sense needs to prevail. It shouldn't be the action. Uh, sorry, it shouldn't be the result of the the action. It should be the action that's suspended. And Burgoyne's action was dangerous. Should have been a week. And if Dangerfield gets knocked out, he might get. He'll definitely get one. He might get two. If he doesn't get knocked out, he gets off. It, that should be irrelevant if he gets knocked out or not. The the actual action is what is the problem. So that's my opinion. Totally agree. Yeah. Um. Obviously, footy being the contact sport, is um injuries. Galore, not injuries galore, but there's a fair few injuries. Obviously, probably the biggest one of the week, Dusty Martin, now with Bruce Ribs. Um, Hardwick obviously thinks he'll come back around four. Um, anything else we need to update on? Oh, there was a huge injury. The the, the Blues, uh, Nick Newman, out for the year. Was, you know, they're just going to have to replace one C grader with another one. So, <laughs> just come back from a dis- dislocated elbow and then just uh, ruptured the talent tendon. That's, uh, as we said, just a back pocket. Uh, Plotter at the moment, but um, we'll be able to bring in a young player like Tom Williamson, so that should be alright. It was good to see there wasn't 
you know, many long-term injuries, but there wasn't any soft tissue either, which yeah, meant that... I was going to say, I probably got that wrong last week. Well, it's one week in, we'll, we'll see, but um, yeah, that was good to see that we want the best players playing. So. Obviously, um, Bernal managed for Melbourne, played 50% game time. Um, I think he ended up with 14 touches, kind of showing that he's still got it, and then if he eventually does get to that 100% on the 100% game time, but um, playing the majority of the game, that he could be really dangerous for these and really pushing, hopefully push into September. So, yeah. All right, our second guest on the post-game spray is uh, Port Adelaide player Trent McKenzie. 110 games for the Gold Coast Footy Club and Port Adelaide Footy Club, taken in the 2010 pre-draft from the Western Jets. Uh, welcome, Trent. Hands up and a huge Uh, obviously, really exciting time for the Port Adelaide Footy Club at the moment, mate. But we'll just uh, go back to the start with the Gold Coast days. Um, you sort of burst on the scene as one of the pin-up boys' early days for the Gold Coast. Um, do you want to just tell us about the beginning uh, for, for the Gold Coast Suns and what it was like for you in your first year there? Yeah, so I moved up pretty young. Uh, I was a 17-year-old. Moved away from family and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I settled, settled in pretty well. Uh, we had well, most of the list was pretty young, so that that made it easy. Um, the first year, as you said, yeah, played some played some good footy, so I was enjoying my time. And then, uh, yeah, hit a bit of a hurdle, had a few few injuries, and my form wasn't great. So, um, yeah, it was it wasn't the best. And then, yeah, eventually found my way over to Adelaide um, three years ago now. So, yeah, really enjoying my time at Port. And just on that, mate, you mentioned um, pretty successful early days, and I think it was 57 games in your first three years and then another couple of good years. It seemed like you played your best footy under Guy McKenna. Was He He cops a little bit of flat guy, but it sounded like um, well, he was good for your footy. Do you want to just um, yeah, talk us through your time under, under Guy? Yeah, definitely. Um, he was yeah, probably one of my favourite coaches. We got along really well, as it probably shows in the footy. Footy nowadays, if you like your coach, then um, you seem to play some good footy. But um, yeah, he, he was good for, for me, and he was good for a lot of the young boys. As, as I said before, we had a pretty young lift uh, starting out, so we had to learn it a fair bit, and um, he was good good at doing that. Um, for him to get the sack was, yeah, it was pretty interesting, but um, yeah, that's the way footy goes these days. Um, if you're not winning games, then it, it does make it hard. Normally the first person goes to coach, so that was disappointing. And um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's all I can say about Louis. He was, he was a good man. Yeah, nice one, Mac. Hey, it's Mitch here. Um, I was just wanting to. Uh, you've obviously touched on the fact you're a normal uh, Gold Coast player. I was just thinking about um, the comparison between Gold Coast and GWS in those early years. You guys seem to have obviously GWS had their troubles keeping players, but there's not too many. Uh, inaugural or early Gold Coast players that are still on that list. I uh, was interested to get your thoughts on why um, sort of that played out in comparison to GWS. Yeah, it's a, a good question. Um, I think they did their recruiting a little bit different to the Gold Coast. Uh, they had more of a, well, their senior players were a bit younger than what our recruited senior players were. And, uh, yeah, they, they obviously did pretty well there, and then I think the dominoes started to fall was when um, one of the boys left. I think it might have been Josh Caddy or um, Dion Pressure or something like that left, and then 
I think we saw Jager leave and then Todd Lynch and then all these good players are starting to follow. So it was hard to keep everyone together. But, um, yeah, obviously we weren't very successful. So that was making it, it difficult to keep the boys around. So I think um, the way GWS were, they were a bit, bit younger with those experienced players and, yeah, seemed to work out. So that would be better. Yeah, nice one, mate. Thanks for that. Hey, James, Joe here. Um, just wanted to touch on one of your ex-teammates up the Gold Coast who's made his comeback, um, Harley Vanell. Um, believe yep. you're reasonably good mates with him. Um, how good is it to see him back on the footy field at the moment? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I still speak to him pretty much nearly every day. Um, he's, he's going really well. It's good, good to see. You know, he's had his, he's had his setbacks and for him to just, I suppose, continue on and keep having a crack at it and get back to where he is because... It is a brutal injury. I know how, how it goes with injuries. I've had me fair share as well. So I know the times he would have been doing would have been pretty tough. So for him to be back playing and playing well was, um, yeah, good to see. Uh, hey, Trent. Um, Paddy here. Um, obviously, moved across to Port now um, and just versus Adelaide. What's it like playing in that crosstown rivalry where obviously you came from Gold Coast and you kind of have the Q clash? But it's not really a true rivalry yet. So, what's it like playing against the um, other big side in your state? Yeah, it was, mate, it's a massive build-up. Um, I haven't really been a part of it the last couple of years, but I got my first base over the weekend, and even though it was a little bit different with the restrictions and only a couple of thousand people there, it was still an amazing atmosphere. And you know, everyone everyone talks about about it throughout the week and builds it up. So it's obviously better when you're winning and you can get those bragging rights. But um, yeah, I love it over here. It's a it's a massive game. It's a good one to win. Awesome. Yeah, nice one. So you've spent your whole career interstate. Uh, it seems the go-home factor is becoming more prevalent these days. Uh, can you touch on the pros and cons uh, and of, of being interstate and being away from the family and, and maybe going to your particular situation a bit as well? Yeah. Um, I think I said a bit earlier, uh, I was lucky enough when I moved away that we're all a similar age and about 17, 18, so it was a good fun. It made it a lot easier to move away from Mark. I did have my struggles really early, so that made it a lot, lot easier, but I can see where the uh, kids are these days, um, moving away from their family and only having a couple of boys really to lean on their, their age. It does does make it hard, but um, I was pretty fortunate to make some really good mates um, early days, and that made the go-home factor pretty, pretty easy to choose for me to, to stay around. And, um, with me choosing to go to Port Adelaide, I uh, had a few connections from the Gold Coast over there at the time, so um, that made my decision pretty easy not to go home and play over in Adelaide. Just on that, go home back to mate. Um, when you were up and going the Gold Coast for the first five years, I think you played more than 15 games every year. Was there any um, interest from Victorian clubs and did you consider anything through that period? Yeah, there was a little bit, but um, I seemed to sign uh, pretty early on in the season when I was out of contract, so I was lucky in that um, aspect. But, um, yeah, back then, it's not pretty much the same as it is now. You see the contracts don't really matter too much these days. But, uh, yeah, I, was, I had a little bit of interest, but I um, never really thought about it too much. And, yeah, I was, I was happy playing until we had the Gold Coast. Um, obviously, uh, you talked earlier that you started off red hot kind of thing um, as a big player for the Suns and then um, declined a little bit when Rocket kind of uh, took the reins. Can you talk to us a little bit about your uh, relationship with Rocket and what he's like and stuff like that? 
Yeah, Rock is pretty tough. Um, I won't give too much away, but uh, yeah, we we had our struggles together, and I was I was in some poor form myself and battling injuries, so it was, it was pretty tough to break back into the side. Um, wasn't wasn't really happy and playing my best footy, so that was pretty tough. Um, Rock had a pretty good relationship with most of the players, but um, yeah, obviously, there, uh, as I said before, the um, the results weren't going our way, so it was making it tough on him. And, in the end, he had the same uh, output as, as Bluey, so uh, he didn't really last much longer than, than him. So um, it looks like they've, they've got it going all right at the moment with Stewie Jew. I think most of the boys like him. So, um, yes, yeah, as much as I can say about Rocket. Yeah, well, well, not to uh, harp on Rocket, but we are called the uh, post-game spray. <laughs> and... Uh, we are wondering if, if not not particularly Rocket, but just in general, if you've got any uh, memorable post-game sprays that have been directed either your way or towards any of the boys that yeah you wouldn't mind sharing with us. Who is it, Willow? It's it's me, Mitch. You're just telling me she's not working hard. No, no he's right. Not the window. Right, okay. No, let's okay. just say that. No, no, no. Get around the wheel! Get off, quick! Rocker, rocker, rocker. We can't think. We can't think. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Okay. Right, okay. Yeah, hey, Mitch, Mitch, Mitch. Okay, now mention for, um... Get him off. Yeah, um... Get him off. 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 Get Oh, I can give you a few. I don't know if that'd be uh, PG-rated, but um, unfortunately we're not a PG-rated show, so you can have loose with however you want. Oh, that's all right, then. Um, yeah, Rocket loves to give us praise on nearly every every game. Um, I think he said to one one bloke, there wasn't the, the, the best kick going around, he said if you kick the ball with that, I'll kill you. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that bloke had a kick ever again. <laughs> Well, Daniel Gorringe is on Big Brother now, so it's good to see him uh, moving on in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't going, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, just on a bit of your own game, mate, um, when you first started, it looked like you were one of those sort of rebounding defenders where you obviously got the, the nickname the cannon with your big left hoof, um, and you sort of were the designated kicker there, and you're playing a little bit higher. It seems like towards the end of your time at the Gold Coast, and now even at Port, you're playing a little bit deeper. Just want to talk us through. Um, what your role is currently and, and how that differs from what it was maybe at the start of your career? Yeah, um, I started off more or less on the, on the wing for the Gold Coast in my first year, so that allowed me to get up ground a fair bit more and have a few shots of goals. But um, yeah, as you said, towards the end of my Gold Coast career, and now I'm playing a bit deeper in, in defence, so I don't, I don't mind that role or the, uh, the last line. So. If, um, if I can get a game doing that for Port Adelaide, then I'm, I'm happy to do it. But um, yeah, obviously, a lot different to my first few years when I was a bit bit younger and skinnier with, <laughs> without so much weight. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind the rule. It's um, obviously got a few uh, big defenders at the moment with Cleary and Jonas on the side. So it was hard to, hard to move them out of the way. So I kind of had to make my own roll down a bit deeper. Marco, playing a bit deeper rather than on the wing, obviously probably a little bit less running. 
Um, we've been through two K time trials, aren't um, your favourite things going around? Do you want to just talk us through your record in the two K time trial? <laughs> I definitely haven't won one. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's definitely not one of my strengths. Uh, I've never really looked forward to uh, pre-season or the time trials, so I just like to get there out of the way and get the get the footies out like, like most people like to do. So um, I think that yeah, that deep roll suits me as a, that's not one of my strengths. So. Yeah, it's going right at the moment. Yeah, nice one, mate. No one in, uh, enjoys the pre-season, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's important for us to do our due diligence on, on guests before before coming on. We came across something that uh, you, you possibly sold a part of your body at some stages. Can you uh, just elaborate on that? <laughs> oh, no. What are, the, what are my souls? I can't, I can't remember. Possibly, poss- yeah. possibly to do with the shaving sort of setup. <laughs> Oh, I don't know where you've got this from. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, alright, we'll just leave that there. I'll be looking internal for that one, Matt. <laughs> um, it's really is a PG rated, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, just back on the footy for a little bit. Um, obviously, it's a pretty, pretty exciting time at Point Adelaide at the moment. Uh, the club's right up and about after a big win against the Crows. Um, you haven't tasted a heap of success on the Gold Coast and in your brief time with Port. Uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to hopefully continuing on that success and maybe playing some finals this year. Yeah, absolutely, that's the goal. Uh, we've started how we wanted to start, but we know it's it's a long season in footy, so the first two games are out of the way, we can hopefully keep that going. Yeah, you never know. No, very good, mate. Um, we really do appreciate your time. Um, I know you've got a you're, you're a boy from the western suburbs of Melbourne, which is close to our hearts. Uh, here you've got a business operating in there. Do you want to uh, just talk us through that? Give that a plug? Yeah, I've got a barbershop in uh, Weavestown. So uh, it's called La Bodega, and La Bodega 3016 on Instagram. So if you're looking for a, a new trim, I uh, read you love your you love your haircut, so if you want to jump in there, mate. His, his feathers are disappearing quick, smart, Max. So unfortunately, might might be only a few left for him. Can't, can't do much with red hair either. <laughs> Richard's in that collection as well. You know, you know where to go to finish him off. That's it, mate. Nah, uh, we do really appreciate your time, uh, and yeah, good luck for the rest of the season with with the power, and hope there's a lot of success to come. No worries, thanks, mate. Good stuff. Thanks, mate. Thanks, 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 thanks for your time, mate. It would be unjust to have a podcast called Post Game Spray if we couldn't get our own spray. We won like walk out of here, getting a pat on the back from people out there for a good effort. I'll spill up! We're really being ourselves. We were very uptight last week. It might have been some nerves, first episode, but geez, we've, we've bought our A game tonight. And moving into the Post Game Spray, uh, yeah. round, the first, the first game. Get yourself a bit more of a battle. <laughs> I was doing the 360. Anyway, um, first game, a long layoff, 10 week layoff, I think it was, and halfway through the third quarter, the bloke in the bunker, he gets his time to shine. He gets his one bit of five seconds of um, fame for the whole week, and boy, did he take advantage of it. The virgin in the bunker, know your role, play your role. You're there for the howlers. Overturn the howlers. Do not assert your one bit of power that you're going to have in your whole life in that five seconds to overturn a line ball decision that has ended up changing the outcome of the game with Jack Higgins being awarded that mark. The umpire was there. We might know that umpire. We might not know him. (laughs) He was there straddling that line like the goal umpire is supposed to. And he was in the position. He's called. He rightly called the umpire to go to the review. 
If there's no conclusive evidence to overturn it, know your role and don't overturn it, you muff it. I do love how when uh, when they when it gets sent upstairs and you have the brief little pause and then the little nasally voice comes down, uh, yes, uh, we'll confirm that that has gone through for a point and you're just like that bloke must be 12 and never had a beer or anything else. <laughs> Possibly similar to that in their life. Uh, I want to give a cook to an umpire we possibly may or may not know following on from was yes. The first one, Brayden Maynard's 100% review it. The second one, you're fucking standing right there, dude. Make a decision, mate. Do what you are paid to do and make the call once you're standing on the line watching it. You are watching it. Your view is better than any recorded camera they could possibly set up. Make a decision, my friend. I'm going to roll that into another section. Does anyone else want to touch on the outboys firstly? Uh, I'm fine. Well, I've got one. Just to, I'm gonna, <laughs> while we're on this, and we, we've given the umpire a spray, we've given the nerd in the box a spray, I'm going to give the AFL a spray as well. They are reliant on the broadcaster for the vision, right? This is their game. This is their umpires. This is their nerd in the box. If they want the decision made correctly, invest in a camera on the goalpost so you can actually see what's going on, not relying on Fox Sports or Channel 7 from row Z to get their camera right because they've had four years crack at it and they cannot do it. So AFL, put your guilt, put your hand in your pocket, mate, and invest. I agree with that. They're currently going rolling with the camera sticky tape to the goalpost. Not good enough. Put, as we said, pull your finger out, invest if you're going to do it properly. Do you know what else shits me about this, right? Is when they show for the official score review, they show you an ankle, as Doyle said, from Rose. <laughs> then three minutes later, when play's going on again, oh shit, we've got a better angle right up close where you can see perfectly that the ball was over the line when he marked it. Where the fuck was that in the first place? Does me heavy. Uh, some real Jason Ackerman's 360 feedback there. Okay, guys. I've got some more 360 <laughs> feedback. I've got some 360 degree feedback for the AFL coaches at the moment. Right. Pies, Ties, Nathan Buckley, Damien Harwick, people have missed footy for 11 weeks and you serve that shit up. When you're planning for the game, I don't care if you think that's going to win, give us something to watch, mate. Give us something to watch. Do you know who left that game happy last week? Absolutely Nobody. Not a single person left that game pleased. And then Hardwick has the nerve, has the nerve to blame the Jew. We have played in monsoons, we have played in wet, rainy, mud up to our ankles, and he's blaming the Jew. But I don't just want to go in on the game planning, because some other, as Floody touched on earlier, what is with coaches picking blokes from nowhere that shouldn't be getting games? Beveridge is the king of it at the moment. Chris Scott, absolute king of it. Why was Blitzabs playing on the wing in the final last year when Tom Lynch put his whole wand up us? What is going on with the AFL coaching fraternity? It isn't that hard. Make the simple decision, make watchable football, and everyone's happy. So AFL coaches have a long hard look at yourself, please. Uh, thanks to the two cat supporters there. It really shows us how to wine, um, like their coach. Let's move on to our next bit. Something we're looking forward to to next week. Uh, kick us off, Frank. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Friday night, Dogs GWS, both of some disappointing performances. Um, and there's been a bit of a rivalry built up over the last few years um, with a couple of close games in the finals. Obviously, uh, the Toby Green uh, 
Riley kick incident as well added a bit of spice to it, but I think both teams need to respond. Um, and if the Dogs don't, um, against GWS, who actually where they have a bit of a rivalry in the game they normally get up for, then they are in bigger strife than we imagine. Okay, yes, four things I'm looking forward to. Obviously, pretty simple again this week. <laughs> Pre-game beers at home. Really <laughs> looking forward to them. Spending 50 bucks on Uber Eats. That'll do the job nicely, I think, for a game this week. Yelling, he's been doing it all day at the TV. <laughs> Makes me feel good if no one else. And obviously the post-game beers at home, that's uh, that's a nice, simple one as well. Not quite as good as YJ's, but we'll get it done anyway. I do have one thing, though, that I'm most looking forward to, and that is watching fat dad bod Gary Ablett go and take the piss out of blokes 15 years younger than him again this weekend. What sort of shape has Gash thrown back up in? Absolutely blown. He's got tire in his guts. But the best part of it is he's still taking the piss out of the comp. What a freak. I hope the bloke plays for another 10 years and gets fatter and fatter. Just full stewy Jew on it and still dominates. Just, just on that, that sort of leads me into... Oh, what I'm not looking forward to is the Gold Coast versus Adelaide game. That, I won't be tuning into that one. <laughs> uh, West Coast. What, <laughs> what I will be looking forward to, it's not it's not the number one ticketed game, but in, for the people in this podcast, there's something pretty special happening on Saturday. No. And that's John no. versus Carl. No. And that's us watching the footy with Frank and watching tears <laughs> protrude out of his eyelids. I hope we break the record. For most points scored, <laughs> even in 16 minute quarters. That, that, I want it like a Geelong Richmond 07 sort of real set. Geelong set. Melbourne as well? Yes, Geelong. Yes, Geelong Melbourne. Yes, Stevie J have 35 and 7 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be a day with Gary. Gary to have 35 and kick 5 off. Oh, a couple, so, couple of sausage rolls at half time as well. <laughs> it would be a long, long night, that one. Um, one thing I'm looking forward to, touched on our demo. Kyrie Manson Whelan doesn't select someone. Get Ste- Jaden Stevenson in the side. He's our third best forward, without a doubt. I know Brown and Dacos played well last week, but maybe we lack that speed in the forward line. So Not the same. Po- Dacos was good. The Browns aren't the same post coach as Jaden Stevenson. I'm with you. Exactly. That's uh, what I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, get him. I'm unsure if Cox is in this week. Uh, Cameron, uh, Cameron did well. Thought maybe we could roll with a second tall kind of thing. And also want to see how the dogs respond to their shit house performance. How about we just let the best ruckman in the game go by himself and you pick Jaden Stevenson and said Darcy Cameron? It's not that hard, it's exactly. Goldstein played 100% and then get her all forwards. Hey, otherwise, Brody Mychek's certainly tall forward. Brody Mychek brings the ball to ground, mate. What would it be like? I'm taking Stevenson or uh, Darcy Cameron or Mason Cox. I'm taking Stevenson. I'm with Fez a little bit here. If if you don't have a good second tall forward, don't play one. Rewalt played one out in a 2017 with the Tigers. Um, I'm with Frankie though. My check, yes, he can bring the ball to ground, Fez, but it showed last year with West Coast and he was our only tall option and we got smashed. You got smashed because you kept kicking up long to McGovern, mate. That's why you got smashed. If you don't have a key forward, don't kick along with the gap. If you play Jamie Allen and Stevenson, you've got two very good lead-up forwards there. Just lower the eyes, mate. Very lower hard matchups too. Eyes. A lot of not a lot of sides have multiple players who can play on those sort of players, and you throw Oscarelli as well in to go. Very similar player. To go, there's four points blokes who are mid-size or smaller that can play in the goal square. But this is what we're saying: make the simple, easy decision. Pick your best twenty-two players. Yeah, and play to your strengths. That's their strengths. Their strength is in their second key forward. Uh, fair enough. Okay, we love a list on the post-game spray, and today we're going to be listing our three um, most unfortunate non-Brownlow winners. I've worded that very badly, but I'll kick us off. Um, I'm the best player to play ever, Lee Matthews. 
Um, Scott Penabry, of course. Collingwood's love child. How, how is he not love one? Probably better this year, to be honest. Of course. Of course. Uh, Pendles is a game list. And consistently good, but not the best in the comp. I think he, I think he's been unlucky with places. He's it? never been favourite for a round. But anyway, mm-hmm. keep going. And keep list. I'm getting another... Castagna? I'm getting another variation here. Quinn Lynch? Quinn Lynch, maybe. <laughs> maybe Tom Hawkins has lived up with his height. <laughs> and my last one is Joel Selwood. Has been up there. Once again, hasn't been probably the best player. Yeah, put him in the same category as Penn. Yeah. yeah. He's only really good, but never the best. Yeah. Um, Which way are going, Frank? Frank? Yeah, I'm going to go with probably three blokes. They're considered the best of all time. Um, Wayne Carey, Gary Abbott Senior, and then uh, Lee Matthews again. Probably top three of all time is the general consensus for those three, but um, no ground low between them, which is um, an interesting stat. That's my exact list. Matthews, Carey, Gas Senior, it's a midfielder's water. I don't really think it really matters too much about what the umpires think. I think they've done a shit job picking. It, it's not the best player, it's the best midfielder. Yeah, I've got one of the same as them. Carey, I agree. Carey was the best player in the comp for eight to ten years, and exactly midfielders award. The other two that were right up there year in year out, and maybe a bit before your time. Gary Hocking had four runner-up finishes, four runner-up finishes. That's pretty stiff not to win one. And Andrew McLeod was favourite three times, didn't win one, and was round about um, in all those years. So yeah, I think those three for me. Over West from the Dogs as well, unfortunate to miss out. Had a couple uh, of top fives. Same category as uh, Selwyn and Penelbridge and Moore. Good bit of first. Mm. Yep. Um, also, um, to wrap us up here, what side, sorry, what sorry, what team do you believe is the best of all time? Year specific. I've got three. I'll count you down. So, now, can, before we start here, I've got an issue with this because on our run sheet it says, E.G. Richmond 2019. Sure we're not. Yeah. Sure we're not. Pluck one there. My, my three. Just thinking the most recent. My three. And, and the easy one to say, the easy cowardly way to go is the Bulls lost one game in 2000 and they were the best side. <laughs> they only won one in three years, so they weren't that good. They were good, but, they weren't, but they're coming in third in my... Year specific list. That's 2000, mate. It's in 2000. <laughs> one loss. So that's, one, that's, that's my number three. Yep. My number two... Is and it's gonna be people gonna say it's a home ground one, but the cats in 07 oh, after oh. round five just were untouchable. Oh. You look at the qualifying final, 106 point win against the kangaroos, finished for 106, mate. The pies, we just sort of flirted with them, let them get close. <laughs> we can't the build on the wheel. We thought that we, one final, we better <laughs> let it get close. <laughs> and then what do we do again? What do we do the week after? 20 goal win. We've won two finals by over 100 points. We lost one game in 17 rounds when we just said five of your best players have a, have a rest against Port and Cassisi pulled one out of his ring. So they're the number two. And the best side of all time, the best side of all time, and they, if you look at wins and losses and you look at the result, the margins, it won't say, but Brisbane in 02 were unstoppable in the middle of their three-peat. That's the best side of all time, Brisbane 02. Listen, hard to argue with what you're throwing out there. And I don't, I'm not going specifically here because I don't play by these sort of uh, rules. It's 2020 and we don't need to be put into this sort of classification. Geelong, 07 to 2010, bang, done, best of all. You just leave me out 11 there when we were on the plate. <laughs> don't think our side was as good in 11 without Gary. Correct. <laughs> I was, I know we mentioned it before, but Essendon 2000 to lose one game. Nobody got near him all year except for that last round. I think that's the best, most dominant um, individual season by a side. Um, there's pace of reflection on individual years, so that's what I'll roll with. Yeah, I roll with as well. Brisbane 02, um, you've got your side of Black, Lepich, 
Brown, Lynch, all those good players. I think one underrated as well was kind of St Kilda throughout that 2009, sorry, 2008 to 2010 period. I think they'd be up there with um, probably top 10 teams of all time. But um, it's unfortunate couldn't break their premiership success. They were stiff. Another very dominant year was the Blues in 1995. They were, they were a very, very good side, and I think they lost two games the year. Was that the first, so first side to win 20 games in the year? I was about to really mention that one. Probably, Did yeah. you win the flag that year? Was that the year that right. the Blues won? We won the flag. Yeah. They were over the salary cap, though. Let's not forget that. Hugh so Paper Brown's flying around in Jack Elliott's office. Over the salary cap. <laughs> They're a pack <laughs> of <laughs> cheats. Uh, no, that's that was pretty mad. That's why you lost eight star picks in four years. Cap holding with Robbie Cup 95 over the cap. This is ridiculous. I think that's all for this week's uh, post game spray. Thanks for tuning in. Um, click the link in our bio um, to hit up Lava Dega in Weavestown, Trent's uh, barbershop. Uh, that's all. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.